Go with me this morning once again to the book of Acts chapter 4. We'll look together at a scripture we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. Uh, how many of you were with us last week for Back to School Sunday? Did you enjoy it? We had a good time together. It was a great day. Did your kids enjoy it? Oh, wow. Okay, I guess we need to work on that. It's all right to talk back. Did anybody's kids, if they didn't fake it, did anybody's kids enjoy Back to School Sunday? Okay, wow. Learning my lesson up here. Well, we were so honored and blessed to get to minister to them, and uh, we've been dropping our kids off at school the last week or so as they got back, and seeing some of those backpacks that we blessed them with going to school, man, that just touches our hearts, and we're so thankful for that opportunity. But we've been talking together over the last couple of weeks about growing in grace, and we've been looking at Acts chapter 4. I want to look at it again this morning. Down around verse 32, the Bible says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Verse 33, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now say this last statement with me. And great grace was upon them all. Say it again. And great grace was upon them all. I want you to say it again. Let's say it with some excitement. And great grace was upon them all. Just back up a couple of chapters towards the beginning of this book. And man, you can see the things that were happening in this church were astounding, miraculous things. I mean, in chapter one, Jesus as he's ascending, tells his disciples to go and wait until they're endued with power from on high. He said, the Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. You go wait, he's coming. So in chapter two, they got together in the upper room and they waited and they prayed and they praised. And as they did, there came a sound from heaven. And it was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It, the Bible says it filled up that room where they waited and, and the spirit of God filled them. And the Bible says that tongues of fire sat on each one of them. And all of a sudden they start speaking in other tongues. And I don't know how long they did that, but it was long enough to get a little tipsy. They sat up in that room and they just drank and drank and drank in the Holy Ghost till they came stumbling out of that upper room. And I don't know if they were laughing or falling all over each other, but everybody who saw them said, these dudes are drunk. They're drunk. And Peter said, yeah, they're drunk, but not like you think. They're drunk in the Holy Ghost. And he began to preach. And as they prayed in other tongues, man, a lot of confusion about this. People, they're not sure about it. They, they read about it and I don't know if that's for today. That sounds strange. That sounds weird. What's that all about? Well, just be open to it. Can you just, just be open to it? Because these, these are the things that got this church started. This was the first big move of God in the church. He filled his people with his spirit. And they began to speak in an unknown tongue and the people that heard it, there were, the Bible says there were men and women there from other nations, other places. And they said, how is it we hear in our own language? Man, God's doing a miraculous, marvelous thing. And Peter started preaching and that day, 3000 people were added to the church. That's some nice church growth. That's some good church growth. 
And, and from there, we, we see, we follow Peter and John into the next chapter. And there's a, there's a healing of a lame man who'd been lame from his mother's womb over 40 years and couldn't walk. And Peter said, I don't have any silver and gold to give you today, but I do have something else. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Grab that brother by the hand, yanked him up. That dude went walking, leaping and praising God. And it drew this crowd of people and 2,000 more got added to the church. And this thing is growing and growing. Then you get into chapter four and these guys get arrested for this miracle and they get threatened and they get told, quit preaching in that name, quit talking about resurrection. And Peter said, I don't know. I don't think I can quit. He said, I can't quit talking about the things I've seen, the things we've heard. And they threatened him. They threatened him with punishment. They threatened them with, with, with beating them. I mean, these disciples just saw what these guys did to Jesus. They are willing to kill. Huh? And that's the kind of threats that these guys are getting. So they go from there and they get back together with their group and they start praying and praising and worshiping again. They said, Lord, look on their threats and give us boldness to preach it more. Give us some more boldness. And the Bible says that the, the church was being added to every day. So you've got these people full of the Holy Ghost. You've got a miracle, miraculous growth taking place in the church. You've got literal physical miracles of healing happening in people's bodies. You've got boldness rising up in these preachers, even spite of the threats. And then we just read here in verse uh, 32, it, it said, nobody said any of the things he possessed was his own. Verse 34, it says this, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. Nobody lacked there. You couldn't find lack in this entire church. There's some good things going on in that church. Folks, this is our church. I'm saying it again. This is our church. This is the church we're a part of. We're not a separate church. I know we're a few miles from where it started, but that's all right. It's the same church. So whatever was happening in that church should be happening in this one. And we get to this verse in Acts chapter four that says with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection. So there's something else going on in the church. The preaching was powerful. I said the preaching was powerful. And then it says this, that great grace was on them all. That statement is a summary statement of everything I just said to you that was going on in that church. How do you describe such marvelous, miraculous things happening in one body of people? I don't know. Just some grace on that place. How do you describe hundreds of people being filled with the Holy Ghost? That's great grace. How do you describe thousands of people being added to the church? That's great grace. Huh? How do you describe the fact that nobody had any lack in there and that the preaching was with power? How do you describe all that? It's grace. I said, it's grace. It's great grace. But what we're starting to see, and this is what I want to start getting into today, is how we come to the place of great grace. How do you get there? Well, Second uh, Peter chapter three says that you and I are to grow in grace. Some translations say continue to grow in grace. 
Now, I just gave you kind of a summary statement of a few chapters in the book of Acts, but I don't know how much time that encompassed. What I'm telling you is from the time they were filled with the Holy Ghost to this time in Acts chapter four, you keep reading into Acts chapter five and it talks about more people being added to the church and more miracles happening. What's going on along the way? They're growing in grace. They're growing in grace. They're growing in grace until you get to the place where it's great grace on them. And like we've said before, that word great is the Greek word megas. That's how you describe what we're reading about here. Mega grace, huge mega grace, but it didn't happen all at once. They had to grow into it. And if that church had to grow into the grace, what do you suppose this church is going to have to do? We're going to have to grow into the grace. You know, we, we got started here and we're just really a few months old, but man, when we first got here and like I've told you before, we looked at the condition of this place and it was rough, but I can tell you today that what came on Sarah, what came on me, what came on our, our small staff was nothing short of the grace of God. And it was grace on a level we had never experienced it before. And that grace strengthened us. That grace enabled us. And there was no way that this little group of people with no experience, never done anything like this before, that we could get this job done, that we could get these doors open. But it took some more grace. It took some more help from God, some more strength from God. We didn't have the money in our pocket or in the bank to do this, but here it came. We stepped out in faith to do it. And here comes the ability. Here comes the finances. What is all that? Hmm? that, that that's my amazing marketing skills. Hmm? That's my fantastic leadership ability. My ability to inspire the masses. No, no. And don't you dare give me any credit for it. Because if I want more grace, I can't take the glory. And I want more grace. And we tasted of a grace that we'd never seen before in getting this open. But here's, here's what's stirring so big in my heart right now. James chapter four, verse six, he gives more grace. He gives more. That means there's more grace available for this place. There's more grace available for this church. But what are we going to have to do? Grow in it. We're going to have to grow in it. One of the things that I saw right away, we've been in ministry for over 10 years in our own ministry, serving in ministry before that on my parents' staff and grandparents' ministry. And yeah, I'd been in it, been around it. But when we stepped over into this office of, of pastoring, I told others, I said, man, this, this anointing to pastor is one of the realest things I've ever experienced. There were some things that came on Sarah and came on me, these graces and anointings, things I'd never experienced before. And yet, right now, I can see so clearly there is so much more that I've got to grow into. There's so much more grace. There's so much more anointing to do this job and to serve this family. I'm not in it yet, but I'm growing into it. I'm growing into it. You got to grow into the grace. We had our kids in here with us last week. And, and this was one of the things I was endeavoring to get across to them as we looked at Jesus as a young child. You know, the Bible says when he was born that grace was on him. Did you know that there are graces you're born with? Graces that you're born with. 
And the world doesn't realize what they're saying, and yet they talk in these terms, born with a gift. Well, that's what the word grace is. Look up the word grace, and it's the word charis. As you look at throughout the New Testament, you see the word gift or gifts or giving. Look it up. It's charisma, charisma. Have you ever, you ever met a charismatic person? What are you saying? There's grace on that guy. There's grace on that girl. Man, that person's got a gift. What are you saying? They're graced. And some of it you're born with, but much of it, what do you have to do? Grow into it grow into it. Jesus had a grace on him when he was born. And then a few verses later, the, the scripture fast forwards to when he's 12 years old. And we talked about this last week, but his, his mom and dad left him in Jerusalem, thought he was somewhere among the company. When they figured out he was gone, the Bible says it was three days that they were looking for him. And when Mary, his mother finally found him, where was he? He was sitting in the temple. You remember this? And this occurred to me in a way it never had before. I've been hearing this story since I was a kid. But Mary came in and said, what are you doing? We've been worried about you. What did Jesus say? Why did you look for me? Didn't you know, anybody remember this? That I must be about my father's business. 12 years old and already trying to take over the family business. <laughs> but you think about it. You think about and try to remember back what it was like to be a little kid. And if you've got little kids in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You look at a little three-year-old, a little four-year-old, and you know what they want more than anything in the world? To be big. Why? Because they ain't. Because they're little. And for the most part, they're the littlest thing in the room. They're the littlest thing in every room. And all they want is to be bigger, right? Because from their perspective, things are so much better when you're bigger. You get to do more when you're bigger. You get to go more places when you're bigger. You get to stay up later when you're bigger. And these little guys want to be so big with everything they got. And they look at their daddy and he just looks like a giant of a man. And he's all of five, eight, but he just, he just, wow. Wow, he's huge. And so you know what they do? They sneak into daddy's room, into daddy's closet when daddy's not looking and they take off those little shoes, right? And they slip into those size nine and a half, those size tens, and they come walking out and they put on daddy's coat and they put on daddy's hat and they're in these clothes that just swallow them up. Why? Why? I want to be bigger with everything I am, with everything I got. I want to be bigger. And little ones dream about being bigger ones, right? We do the same thing. We do the same thing when we look to people who are further down the road than we are. Let's just use this church for example. You know, there are so many examples in the world right now of wonderful, marvelous churches that God is using in big ways. And there's thousands of people, tens of thousands of people and they're reaching the world top to bottom all the way around. And when you start one like this, it's real easy to get your eyes on the big ones and go, oh, I want to be bigger. I just want to be bigger. It's the same thing as that little three-year-old going, I just want to be bigger. I just want to be bigger. But as a parent, you look at that child and you just wish there was a way to get across to him. Baby, you will be. Just keep growing. 
keep growing. And these clothes right now that swallow you up, it will not be long at all. They'll fit you fine if you keep growing. So whether you're talking about children or churches, what do we got to do? Keep growing. But can you hear it in Jesus' voice, even as a 12-year-old? I'm ready to get this thing started. Why are you looking for me? I'm 12. Let's go. He's beginning to get a sense of that grace, that call, that assignment. He's like, why are you looking for me? I'm about my father's business, but I love the next verse. It says he went down from there or went back from there, was subject to them in all things. And the child increased. He grew. He increased in wisdom, in stature and in favor. That's the same word translated grace with God and with man. What did Jesus have to do? Here he is, 12 years old, getting a sense of that grace, getting a sense of that call. And he knows it's big. He knows it's, maybe he knows it's world changing. I don't know. And he's going, come on, I want to do it. Let's go. I'm ready to get going right now. And he's sitting down with those elders and those leaders, asking them questions, listening to their answers. And yet mama comes along and says, baby, we got to go. We got to go home. So you know what Jesus did for the next 18 years? He grew in his grace. He grew in that grace. It's why you don't see any miracles uh, being performed by preteen Jesus. It's why you don't hear any messages preached by 18-year-old, 20-year-old Jesus. He's growing in grace and growing in grace and growing in that grace. Folks, if Jesus had to grow in grace for 30 years, years. What are you going to have to do? What should you be doing right now? What should I be doing right now? As a pastor, I should be growing in this grace. As a leader, I should be growing in that grace. As a church, what should we be doing right now? Growing in the grace. And you know, for us or me or you, to be frustrated that we're not further along or something, that's just as silly as a three-year-old going, I wish I was bigger. I wish I was bigger. I wish I was bigger. You just want to look at him and say, baby, you will be. I'm looking at you this, this morning saying, baby, listen, you're growing. You're growing. And growing in grace is actually a lot like growing physically. Isn't that interesting that the Bible said while Jesus was growing in wisdom, he was also growing in stature. There's spiritual growth and physical growth happen all at the same time. Growing in grace is a lot like growing physically. You know what it's like? Slow, slow growth over a long period of time. But if you remember back to when your kids were little or when you were little, mixed in that long, slow, steady growth was what? Spurts. Somebody say spurts. How about a, how about a grace spurt? Anybody up for a grace spurt? Hey, we can have some grace spurts. We had a grace, a grace growth spurt coming into this place. We can have another grace growth spurt. That's what this church was experiencing. And I'm telling you this morning, if you'll keep growing in the grace, then soon and very soon, people will only be able to sum up your life with these words, great grace is on them. Man, what's going on in that house? Great grace is on all them. 
What's going on over here? All these miracles, these provisions, and these healings. Oh, great grace, great grace, mega grace on that family. Great grace on them all. Well, that was supposed to take five minutes. Go to the book of Romans with me, chapter five. I'm growing in my grace. Give me a break. <laughs> Romans chapter five. Man, if you are serious about getting an understanding of the grace of God and how big and how marvelous it is, it won't be any time before you end up in Romans five. I heard one preacher say it like this. Some people do drugs. I do Romans five. <laughs> Romans chapter five is one of those chapters in the Bible where it's, it's the whole gospel in a few verses. And I want to read a few of those to you today. And we're going to shout about them together. Romans chapter five. Let's begin reading in verse 12. I don't know how many times I've read this over the last 24, 48 hours. I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And I'd get done and the Lord say, read it again. And I'd get done and the Lord say, read it again. And we don't have time to read it 20 times a day, but I encourage you to spend some time with it. Romans chapter five, verse 12 says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. How did death get in? Sin. So who's the one man the Bible's talking about here? Adam. Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. This is worse than any virus, the spread of death. The moment Adam sinned, death got in and like a virus, it spread. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Now you're going to have to change what you think or how you think about death. Death is not just simply the cessation of a heartbeat. Study it and you'll find out death literally means separation. Now, when your spirit separates from this body, this body will die, but it's the result of the separation. When sin entered, separation came in through the sin. A Adam didn't drop dead. It actually took his body a long time, better part of a thousand years to figure out how to die. And yet death got in right away through that sin. You could say it like this, through one man's sin, separation entered. Where God and his man were close, now there's distance and that distance is death. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, listen to these words, death reigned. Some translations say death reigned as a king from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. I know there's a lot of meaty stuff in this. Just hang on. And open up your heart. The Spirit of God will teach us about it. Verse 15. But the free gift. Immediately. When you're reading this scripture or any scripture and you see gift, given, giving, you ought to right away think grace. Grace. That's grace. Because that's what grace is. It's a gift. And that's what he's talking about here. The free gift 
is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, say free gift, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Man, this is a lot of words, but it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Holy Ghost, help us see this today. Get us excited and stirred up about this. This is the gospel. Through one man, sin entered the world. And through sin, death and separation. And that death spread to all men. All the men that came after the one, that death and that separation spread to them. Like a contagious disease, it spread. And you couldn't stop it. And it resulted, the Bible said, in condemnation. Condemnation, that's punishment for doing wrong. That's a sentence to prison or to death. That's what condemnation is. And he said, but, but there's something else that came along and it was the free gift. I mean, who doesn't like a free gift? Come on. Free gift? Are you kidding me? He said, the free gift's not like the offense. The free gift resulted in justification. So you got one that results in condemnation. You got another that results in justification. Uh, which one you want? Huh? Which one you want? You want condemnation, punishment for your sin? Or do you want justification, which is the judge looking at you going innocent? Meanwhile, you're the prosecuting attorney who has hauled you before the judge and accused you of sin and failure and mistakes and crimes. He's going, wait a second. What are you talking about? Innocent. I, I know what he did. I know what she did. And the judge is going, innocent, innocent, free to go. You're free to go. Which one you want? Condemnation, justification. The justification only comes one way though. It's through this free gift. Verse 17. Verse 17. For if, if by the one man's offense, death reigned. Again, other translations say death reigned as a king through the one. Much more. I said much more. Go back and look through this chapter and tell me how many times you see much more, much more, much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, listen to these words, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. They will reign in life. Now, wait a second. Death was reigning. Death was the man. Death reigned as a king over all men. But Jesus ruined that. Jesus ruined death. How did he do that? When he died and didn't stay that way. He ruined it. He ruined what death does. He ruined what death is. He ruined what it does for the ones who died. He ruined what death does for the ones who are left behind. He ruined death forever. 
Death was king. Death was the man. But we got a new king. We got something and someone else reigning now and not death. He said, those who receive abundance of grace, what are they going to do? Reign in life. We talked to you this morning about the grace to reign. Reign in life. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't necessarily encourage you to answer it out loud, but I do want you to be honest. Are you reigning in life? Are you? Are you ruling? That's what this word reign means. To rule, to have victory. Are you ruling in life or are you being ruled over? Do you have dominion or are you being dominated? I wrote down a few questions. Let me ask you again. No need to answer aloud. Are you reigning over sickness and disease? Or is it reigning over you? Are you reigning over fear? Or is fear dominating you? Are you reigning in life over strife and division in your home and in your marriage? Or is it reigning over you? Are you reigning over shortage and lack? Or are you being dominated by it? Are you reigning over sin and death? Are you reigning in life? The New Living Translation says, all who receive it, the free gift, will live in triumph over sin and death. Are you reigning? Or I can say it like this, or are you being reigned on? Because whatever you're not reigning over, Death is still reigning over it. Track with me now. Whatever you're not reigning over, death is still reigning over that. So if you're not reigning over sickness in your life, then death is still king. And I got to thinking about this. Just early this morning, too, this hit me. We, we talk so much about this. I mean, if you come to this church week in and week out, you're going to hear us say something about being healed, healed in your body uh, by the stripes of Jesus, having victory over sickness. And I got to thinking, why do we talk so much about this? Why is that like our go-to thing? And it hit me this morning. Because if you're not reigning over it, then death is still king. You want to know why? Because sickness is death in seed form. Now, why put up with that? That's what sickness is. It's death in a seed. Now, think about it. You might have something going on in the body, something hurts, you got a bad diagnosis, got a virus, a disease, whatever. You may not be living all the time thinking, man, this is going to kill me. Or maybe you are, but maybe not. But here's the thing. If that seed grows, it can grow to the place where it can choke out whatever life is in you. And if that seed of sickness is allowed to grow enough, it will result in what? Death. Sickness is death in seed form. So if you're, not, if you're not reigning over it, then who's still king over that area in your life? Death is king. If you're not reigning over fear, 
then death is still reigning in that area. Because any fear and every fear, I don't care what it is, it is, it is the fear of death in seed form. It's the fear of death. Study it for yourself. Whatever area you're not reigning in, death is still king in that area. What about shortage? What about lack? Financial poverty? If you're not reigning in that area in your life, death is. Because we've seen it in other places around the world. We're not as accustomed to it in our nation, but it is happening. There are poverty levels so high that people are dying for the lack of something to eat, for the lack of clean water. If you're not reigning over shortage and lack, don't put up with that because that is death in seed form. And you and I were created to reign. Reign in this life. Think about it. Go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter one. God has created everything in the heavens and the earth. And he comes now to create man. And he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. How many of you heard that verse before? Made in the image of God. You ever said that before? I'm made in the image of God. And it's a sweet thought, isn't it? What's it even mean? We talk like we know what it means. Oh, I'm made in the image. I'm made in his image, made in his likeness. Okay, what's that mean? Well, maybe it means God's about 5'11". And maybe it means God's got, you know, two eyes, a nose, a mouth. Maybe it means God's got 10 fingers and 10 toes. Okay, maybe he does. So, what's that mean? He said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. You want to know what the next words were? And let them have dominion. That's his image. That's his likeness. That's the image man was made in. I don't care if it's 10 toes, 8 toes, 24 toes. It's not about that. It's about the dominion he gave man. It's about the authority he gave man. You want to know when you are, I'm getting chills all over me. I'm telling you the Lord is, thank you, Lord. You want to know when you are at your most godlike? When you're reigning. When you are taking authority in this life. When you are reigning instead of being reigned on. When you are ruling and not being ruled over. When you are having dominion and not being dominated. That's when you are most like your father. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have what? Dominion. And the very first words human ears ever heard. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The Bible says, the Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him. Man, we got a lot to learn about that. This was a lot more than a bless you. The Lord blessed him. And the first words human ears ever heard were be fruitful, multiply, 
subdue the earth. Have dominion over it. The first thing man ever heard from God was the job he was created to do and the authority he was given to do it. That was the blessing. That's the blessing. Lord, bless me. Lord, bless me. You thinking about 25 bucks. You got to think bigger. You thinking about, Lord, bless me, pay my light bill. And he will, but you got to think bigger. The blessing was authority. The blessing was dominion. And it's the first thing man was given in the blessing. And it's the first thing man lost in the curse. He lost his authority. When he listened to another word, here comes one of those creeping things that just, I don't know, a chapter or two before, man was given authority over. And again, I don't know how long that time was. Don't judge Adam like you would have done any better, like I would have done any better. We've proven we wouldn't do any better. But here comes this creeping thing he was supposed to have dominion over. He was supposed to be ruling over, but he didn't. He failed at the job. Now, Eve was deceived, but Adam was dominated. Eve got deceived, but Adam was dominated. He gave away his dominance. He gave away his authority. He gave away his right to reign. Man, the first thing God gave man was grace to reign grace to reign, and he gave it away. It's the first thing man lost, but guess what? It's the first thing we got back. When Jesus went to the cross, and when he was nailed to that cross, and he went to the heart of the earth for three days, and he arose again victorious over death, we got a new king. We got a new king. Death was king. I'm sorry, you will have to leave the throne now. We got a new king. You've been ruined. And death's going, wait a second, you don't come back. We, you don't get to come back. You were gone. Sorry, new rules. New king, new rules. And here comes this king with this gift, this free gift. And what was that gift? It was the first thing Adam gave away. You know what Jesus has given you? The authority back. The righteousness back. The grace to reign. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, he's given me grace to reign. Now he said here, uh, again in verse 17, uh, for those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Now other translations say they will reign as kings. They'll reign as kings. Now to me, as I meditate on this, there's a difference between reigning like a king and reigning as a king. And again, these are words that we throw around, we, we use all the time, made in his image. What's that mean? I don't know. I'm ruling like a king. Okay, well, tell me how. Uh, are, you, are you like a king over sickness and disease? Are you like a king over fear? Are you like a king over strife and division? Are you reigning like a king, like royalty over lack and shortage, over sin and death? I'm a king, but it's kind of beating me up. I'm a king, but I'm constantly running out. You're not living as a king. We use these words, but listen, 
rule as kings. So that means you and I need to find out how kings do it. How do kings rule? If we are to reign as kings, then how do they do it? Think about it. How does a king reign? A king who's, who's king over his kingdom, over this domain, no higher authority in this land. Did you hear that? No higher authority, right? So the king gets an idea one day. And he says, I've got this land over here. I'm going to build another city. I'm going to build a tower and I'm going to build homes around it. And this city's going to thrive and it's going to prosper. So I better go get a shovel. Huh? So the, the king wants to build something. So what's he do? What's he do? Go get hammer and nails. That's not ruling as a king. That's not reigning as a king. The king reigns like this. I want a tower. Go build it. That's how you reign as a king. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, oh, chapter 8, verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. I like this. And who may say to him, what are you doing? <laughs> who can say to the king, what are you thinking? Nobody. And if you do, it will be the last thing you ever say. <laughs> Why? Nobody questions this authority. This is the highest authority. And he rules and he reigns by his word. And where his word is, there is power. So this is how we're told to reign in life. Reign as kings. But let me mention this to you. Oh, this is where I need some help. Can you all help me with this? If you're not reigning... What's the problem? Over any of these areas that I've already mentioned. Now, maybe you're doing good in this one and praise God, you got the victory. Glory to God. But if you're not reigning over here, what's the problem? Because there's a lot of people saying God's the problem. Now, maybe they don't say it like that, but they say, I'm just waiting on him. Or they say in his sovereignty, he'll do this. If it's your will, heal me. If it's your will, provide. Huh? If you're not reigning, is it God's problem? Is it, a, is it a God problem? Is it God's fault? Is he to blame? No. I'm sorry, guys. Some of this is really new to me. I, I got about a thousand things to try to say at once, and it's, it takes the grace. Look at verse 17 again, Romans chapter 5. If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive those who receive, those who receive, much more those who receive, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign. So if you're not reigning, it's because you're not receiving. If you're not reigning, it's not a God problem. It's a receiving problem. How do we access greater grace? You, you tasted of the grace when you were born again. You tasted of the grace when Jesus became the Lord of your life. But what about the grace that heals you? How do you reign 
as a king in that area? What about the grace that delivers you from all fear? How do you reign there? What about the grace that fills you with the Holy Spirit? What about that grace? How do you reign in that area? If you're not accessing some of these graces, it's not a God problem. It's a receiving problem. And wherever you're not receiving, you're not reigning. Now back up in the same chapter into verse, verse two of chapter five, it says, well, verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. We have access by faith into the grace. How do we receive from God? Is it according to the sovereignty of God? No. Is it according to the, the will of God? Is it according to the ability of God? No. We receive according to our faith. That's how we receive. And you got all this grace, grace to reign in every area of your life. And the only way to get any access to any of it is faith. That's how you got access to the grace that saved you. By grace, you are saved through faith. That's the whole truth right there. And that is how you receive anything and everything from God. Right there. By grace, through faith. That's how you're saved. How are you healed? By grace, through faith. That's how you reign in that area of your life. How are you provided for? By grace, through faith. That's how you reign materially and financially. How do you reign over fear? By grace, through faith. That's the answer to all of it. By grace, through faith. I want you to go to the book of Mark chapter five. And while you're looking for that, let me just give you a couple of verses here. In the book of Acts chapter 20, the Bible says in verse 32, so now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. This is on the screen. I want you to look at it. Brethren, I commend you to God and to the, say that with me, word of his grace. The word of his grace. And what's that word able to do? It's able to build you up. The word of his grace. Now he's not talking about the word grace. G-R-A-C-E. The word. Look it up. He's talking about the message the communication of grace. So you've got the word of his grace, but you've also got this scripture in the book of Romans chapter 10 that says, what's it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. So you've got the word of grace and you've got the word of faith. What's this talking about? Are these two different words? What are, which one are we supposed to have? Which one are we supposed to be? Are we word of grace people or are we word of faith people? Well, think about it like this. If you're sitting in this room or you're somewhere by yourself and I approach you and I say to you, hello, what is that? It's a word, right? I've just given you a word. I've just communicated to you. I've said something to you. I've given you a word in terms that charismatic Pentecostal people might understand. You could say, I've got a word. I got a word. What is that word? Hello. But are we in conversation? No. 
not until you respond. But the moment you respond with your word, you're responding with your word to my word. Now we're in conversation, right? And that conversation will last and last and last until somebody, one of us quits responding to each other, right? That's what conversation is. Now I can give you a word, but if you never respond to it, that'll be the end of it. You'll never know anything else I had to say. You'll never know anything else I wanted to say to you, wanted to do for you, wanted to give to you. You'll never know because you failed to respond to the first word. But if you respond to it, and then I respond to yours, and then you respond back to mine, and that goes on and on and on, we could live in conversation with each other from now throughout eternity if we just won't quit responding. I'll give it to you the way the Lord gave it to me years ago. In May of 2010, Sarah and I, who had uh, been married to each other and we had no children, got our lives and world completely rocked and turned upside down when we welcomed our firstborn, little Justice James Pearsons. And of course, he, he changed everything in the most wonderful ways. And, but there was something about this kid that I noticed when he first showed up, I first brought him home, something interesting about him. I noticed he spoke no English. No, I mean it like none at all for days, weeks, months, even this kid spoke no English. And do you know how much money I would have paid at different times if he could just speak some English, particularly at three o'clock in the morning when he's doing nothing but, ah, 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 and I'm leaning over the crib going, baby, just tell me, just tell daddy what you want. But never, not one time in those first few weeks and months did he ever say, hey, daddy, I'm hungry. Never, never once did he say, hey, hey, daddy, I'm a little sleepy. Or, hey, daddy, it's a little cold in here. Would you mind adjusting the thermostat over there? Thank you. Never one time did my son speak anything that I could understand for months until one day. One day we're sitting in the kitchen. Sarah's cooking. I'm feeding him yogurt from this little cup. And out of nowhere, you know what my son said? Dada. Dada. Changed my life forever. My son said dada. If I had a mic, I would have dropped it right there on the kitchen floor. Ladies and gentlemen, my son said dada. And I looked at him, then I looked at Sarah, and she looked at me, and we looked back at him, and you know what we said? Say it again, baby. Say it again. And his eyes got all big. Dad, 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 dad. And it mattered not to me that I was dad, dad, and mama was dad, dad, and the little kid on the yogurt cup was dad, dad, and everything in the room was dad, dad. I didn't care. My son said dad, dad, bless God. Thrilled my soul, right? A couple of days later, Sarah and I are pushing him in a stroller around our neighborhood. We'd go for these walks, and the Spirit of God spoke up into me. And he said, you want to know why that pleases you so much? I said, why? He said, because your son is learning to speak your language. And all of a sudden I saw it. I saw Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please. Why? Why does our faith so please him? 
Well, let me say it like this. Why does our word of faith so please him? Because finally, his kids are learning to speak his language. But you've got these two words, this word of grace and this word of faith. Well, grace is God speaking to you, but it's not doing you any good. You are not reigning over anything until faith responds, until faith starts speaking back to him. And the moment faith responds, guess what happens? Grace responds to faith. And then faith responds back to grace. And then grace begets faith, begets grace, begets faith. And next thing you know, you are in an eternity-long conversation with the God of heaven and earth, the maker of all the universe. Grace is speaking to you. Faith is speaking back to him. The word of grace, the word of faith. The word of grace, the word of faith. It's a conversation. How do we access grace to reign? Receive it. If you're not reigning, it's a receiving problem. And how do you receive it? By faith. By faith. Did you find, uh, where did I tell you, Mark chapter 5? We'll say this and close. Musicians, you guys begin to come on up. Mark chapter 5, I want to show you what I'm talking about. It says in verse 25, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, 12 years. The Bible says in verse 26, she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Let me just stop right here. Is she reigning? No. No. She's been dealing with this same thing for 12 years. Now, later on in this account, we find out that it's a plague that she's dealing with. And you look this up in the Greek, and it literally means something that comes back over and over and over again. And it's so mean because you study it, and it, it literally means you get better, and you think you're done, and it comes back. And you get better and you, you think you finally beat it and it comes back and it comes back. You don't know how many times over the course of 12 years this woman thought she had beat it. She'd gone to see this doctor and spent some money. She took some medicine. Oh, it seems a little better. A few days later, here it comes again. Well, that didn't work. Let's go see this one. Spend, spend a little bit more money and try to get it a little better. It's this plague. It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. And study the word out. It literally means to be hit and struck over and over and over. It's so mean. It's so Satan. She's not reigning over this thing. This thing's been reigning over her for 12 years. Over a decade. And notice how it spilled over. She wasn't reigning over sickness and disease. And look at what else it affected. She spent all she had. Now what's happening? She's not reigning financially. She's not reigning provisionally, materially. She spent all she had. She was nothing better but grew worse. Then you study what she actually had. And according to Levitical law, she's not even allowed in public. 
She's not allowed around friends, around loved ones. So no longer is she reigning. She's not reigning over sickness and disease. She's not reigning financially. She's not reigning relationally. She's not reigning in life at all. But the Bible says in verse 27, when she, she did what? Heard. Grace is talking. When she heard, she heard about Jesus. I could say it like this. When she heard about grace, because that's who Jesus is. She heard about it. How'd she hear? I don't know, but I can't wait to meet the person who told her. What did she hear? Jesus is here. Jesus is in town. That the, the, the miracle worker, the healer, he's back. He, he was on the other side of the sea and he came back over and there's a huge crowd. And she heard it. She heard it. Now, what good would have hearing that done her if she hadn't responded to it? She could have been told all day long, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. But if she had responded and said, man, I've spent everything I've got. Who is this guy? I've been to the best doctors. I've seen the best physicians. Nobody could do anything for me. And if she hadn't responded to it, she would have just stayed dominated by all of it. But when she heard Jesus, she heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd. She touched his garment for she said. So you've got grace talking. Now you've got faith talking. She said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. This woman, whether she realized it or not, just entered in to a conversation between grace and faith. And look at what happened as a result. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. That's grace. I said, that's grace healing grace. She was healed of the affliction. And immediately Jesus, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitudes thronging you. You say, who touched me? He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened in her came and fell down before him and told him and talked to him and explained to him, told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you whole. If you were to ask that lady, how'd you get this grace? You were, you were being rained on girl. You were being rained over. You were sick for 12 years. You had nothing left. You were broke relationally. How'd you get this grace? How are you reigning now? And she would have to tell you what he told her. Faith did that. How'd she access that grace? Faith, faith did it. So this is what I'm saying to you this morning. If there's an area in your life that you're not reigning over, go find out what grace has already said about it. Amen. Open up the word and find out what grace is saying to you about that. Whether it's physically, whether it's financially, whether it's relationally, whether it's in your soul, whatever it is, find out what grace has said and respond to it in faith. Because once you start speaking in faith, now you're speaking his language, right? I know when, 
When Sarah and I lived in Texas, and I grew up in Texas for a long time as a kid, you'd turn on the TV back when you would flip through channels, and we had such a large Hispanic community that it was nothing unusual to come across half a dozen Spanish-speaking channels when you're watching television. The only problem with that for me is I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak the language. You know what doesn't help when I come across a Spanish-speaking television station? Turning it up. Doesn't do anything for me. Why? I don't speak the language, right? Well, listen to me. God no habla worry. God no habla doubt. God no habla fear. God no habla begging. God no habla. And you know what doesn't help? Turning it up. God, oh God, why? God help, oh God, don't you see the need? Oh God, oh God, why'd you do this? Not working, better beg louder. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, why? Oh God, why? Oh God, don't you see? You know what that sounds like? <laughs> like some baby that hadn't learned to speak the father's language yet. But you know what he's looking for? Somebody who will speak the language. He speaks faith. He understands faith. And when you speak back to him in faith, now you're speaking a language that he can understand. Don't turn up the begging. Go find out what grace has said and respond to it. Well, I don't know what to say. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to respond to it. Where do you think justice got dada? Where, where do you think he learned to talk? Listening to me listening to us. Where did he get his words? Our words, right? Where are you going to find out how to respond back to God's words? His words. You go to his word, you find what grace said, then you say what faith says. And when you get up and get caught up in this ongoing conversation between grace and faith, you will reign in this life. Who gets to reign? Those who receive. Receivers receive the grace to reign. Amen. Praise the Lord. Would you stand up on your feet? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817 577 you can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.